Now, for the first time in a long time, he was in full control of his mind. He could think. There was no rage inside of him. No fear. No torment. Just peace. Like the quiet sea. He actually wants to keep his clothes on. But the most strangely wonderful thing is his new sense of cleanness. His soul feels clean. He can feel it in his bones. And it all began just a few hours ago when the man who's sitting next to him got out of a boat. And as he saw this man get out of the boat, he was out there in the cemetery nearby. You see, until now, that cemetery was his home. He had been living there as a wild creature, making shrieking noises in the night. He wears wounds from many attempts to kill himself. And as soon as he saw that man from where he was in the cemetery, the unwelcome evil visitors that live inside of him began raging inside. He could hear thousands and thousands of voices within him. They are aging him on to confront the man who is now sat next to him. But as soon as he got here, an invisible power somehow forced him to land on his knees, and he cried out before this man sat next to him, Jesus, Son of the Most High God. In all his tormented years, he had never felt anything like the terror that gushed through him when he faced this man who's now sitting next to him. It was a terror of the damned. He had thought he had been living in hell already. Now he knows better because the evil visitors that had lived in him for many years are gone. He has been set free and he feels Clean. We looked at the amazing story of the tomb man uh, in Mark chapter 5, verse 1 to 20, that amazing story. And as I thought about that story in Mark 5, it reminded us that the freedom that man experienced from Jesus delivering him from the powers of darkness is part of a wider theme throughout Mark. It is a theme that Mark wants us to see as we come to even this passage today, that Jesus has the power to deliver us from evil in all its forms. Today we are looking, as I said, at another encounter there in Mark 9, verse 14 to 21, between Jesus and the evil powers. We, this passage has been studied so many times, we are only going to scan it on the surface. And I very much encourage you, to study it for yourselves, perhaps later this afternoon. Turn with me to Mark 9, verse 14 to verse 29. On your outline, I just want to share three key truths we learn from this passage about why we need the power of Jesus over evil and how we can enjoy Jesus' victory over evil in our lives. And the first, the first truth we learn in this passage is simply this. It is that everyone is powerless against evil. Everyone. Mom, dad, young, old, male, female, black, white. Everyone 
is powerless against evil. We see here that Jesus had been away on Mount Haman. Uh, he is now arriving uh, back with Peter, James, and John to join the rest of the crew. You know, at Mount Hermon is where he was transfigured before his disciples, and now he's coming down with the, to join the rest of the guys that he had left, the nine disciples that he had left at Caesarea Philippi. It seems they have come to the, if you like, the bottom of Mount Hermon, and Mark has landed us on the scene here through the eyes of his mentor, Peter, who is with Jesus as he comes down. And as we look around, if you imagine with me, we are looking around through the eyes of Peter, as he tells this to Mark, who then has recorded it for us. It seems like what Peter is saying is like all of Caesarea Philippi is here to welcome Jesus. There is a huge excitement. But then as Peter perhaps looks around, he notices that his mates, Thomas, Judas, and, and Andrew, his brother, they, are not, they don't look very excited to see Jesus. In fact, there's belief written on their faces. It seems they are in the middle of a heated argument with the religious mafia who have been trailing Jesus, perhaps from Jerusalem. As you know, the scribes and the Pharisees, they've been chasing Jesus around, and we last left them at Damanutha. It seems they are back now. And Jesus is looking at this situation as he's coming down, arriving after you know, a wonderful moment at the mountain, and he's seeing the disciples arguing with, with these scribes. And he decides to take a closer look at the action. Uh, he wants to get a sense of the issues. I would imagine Jesus is naturally protective of his disciples. What's happening here? But as he gets there, he finds out that actually it is a complete shambles. Here is how Mark summarizes the situation for us. Let's read the situation in verse 14 to verse 18. And when they came, that is Jesus and the disciples, the three disciples, when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowds, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. And he forms and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. As I said, it's a complete shambles. We have a frustrated father fearing for the life of his son. And he's now fearing for the life of his son because all his followers of Jesus have failed his son miserably. They have failed his son and they have found themselves now arguing with the scribes. What they're arguing about with the scribes is anybody's guess. But we can be sure that the scribes are enjoying this failure. They can see the failure of the disciples and say, yeah, we told you. Jesus is not good, isn't it? Look at these disciples. They're just completely clueless. Not that the scribes themselves can, can, can cast out demons. It seems our boys, the nine disciples, have been caught napping, so to speak, at a crucial moment. And our Lord Jesus is not pleased with what has happened. Listen closely to the 
frustration in his voice. I, I detected Brother Ola laughing a little bit, just uh, smiling a little bit as he was reading verse 19. Because we can see something of Jesus' humanity here. Look at verse 19. And he answered them. Notice he's answering them. That's an interesting thing. He's answering them, even though it's the Father who's spoken. We can take that to mean that the disciples have owned up to what's happened and they've engaged Jesus with it. And now Jesus is answering to the disciples. Verse 19. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Let's just pause there. I am guessing many of us, I hope you are, if you are reading this, you are surprised to hear the Lord Jesus sounding like a Grace Baptist pastor, isn't it? All of those sermons with little to show for it, right? He's frustrated. This is holy frustration. I was encouraged by that because it means not all frustration is sinful, right? He's humanly frustrated. That's at the wickedness of the world, we should be frustrated at the evil going on in the world and bring our frustration before the Lord. My point here is that we should not be frustrated by his holy frustration, right? We should not be surprised by his holy frustration. Let us remember that our Lord Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. That is very easy to forget. The other thing that is very easy to forget is that though Jesus remains throughout his time on earth 100% God, he's still God the Son, Jesus has chosen to live on earth not relying on his divine privileges, he's chosen to live on earth as a man dependent on God the Spirit. And here we can see that his humanity shines through. You see, if you haven't got a handle on how Jesus is living, you're not going to understand the frustration. You're going to just think Jesus is acting it up. But no, he's living as a man. And his humanity shines through. He's rightly frustrated that this man that not long ago he had sent into Galilee, casting out demons, right? He seems to have forgotten how to do it now. And they have now a complete embarrassment to the kingdom of light. Darkness is smiling at this moment because these men have proved so faithless. And Jesus is frustrated, wholly frustrated at that. As we think about the behavior of the apostles, uh, it reminds us, remember they are apostles, appointed in chapter 3. As we think about the behavior, the failure of these apostles, it reminds us that most of the time, followers of Jesus sadly behave just as bad as the world around us. You know, beloved, we are so quick to point out at how broken the world is out there. We forget the brokenness, the failures of our, in our own hearts. Our lives, really, beloved, are really no better than the world. It's a fact. We forget, in fact, that our sins are even more ugly than the world's sins. Why? Because we sin against the light. We've seen the light. We've seen God in his transcendent majesty and power, yet we sin against him. The world is blind, beloved. The world is blind. So our sins hurt God more than I think the sins of the world because we sin not just against truth, but against the love of God which he has shared abroad in our hearts. 
Beloved, sin is not far from you, is it? No matter how long you have walked with Christ, the way you live often disappoints him. How long, Jesus perhaps is looking at us now, whole faithful generation, how long am I to bear with you? How long am I to be with you? How long I live inside your heart? Why are you tolerating sin? And as we think about that, as I thought about this passage, it crushed me. And it should break our hearts, isn't it? That we make so little of Christ. And that is the key, though, we need to see here. This is the key truth we need to see here. This, truth, this passage is reminding us, regardless of who we are, all of us are powerless. It's not just a little boy that has been demonized who's powerless. It's not just the father who's powerless. It is the disciples themselves, the apostles of Christ, who are also powerless. Every one of us are powerless against the menace of evil in this world. And everyone here this morning is facing some issue or circumstance in your life where evil or sin is overwhelming you in one way or another. Perhaps an evil form of suffering that you just can't shake off. That's, that's a, suffering is a result of evil sin entering in our world, isn't it? And we become victim, of course, through Adam. Perhaps you are, you are in such a situation where you're battling just against illness or other things. Everyone has some situation. It may be a broken situation with your kids that you just can't fix. Or something at your place of work where you're just being treated badly. Or perhaps a, 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 a brokenness even in the life of the church. Many of us are looking around this country, aren't we? And we feel powerless against the evil in this nation. I was, walk, I was driving past the council building yesterday and I, and I was shocked to see the rainbow flag at the council offices where we pay our council taxes. There was a sense of powerlessness as I drove there. That there is a darkness hovering over this nation and there is nothing, humanly speaking, we can do about it. I can't change why my local Sainsbury's eyes that, that, that is just gone mad over this thing. We feel powerless. And this is an example of evil, isn't it? I know parents, we feel, I feel powerless with where my child attends school. I, I, often, what they're being taught, just a sense of powerlessness. We are all in situations where we feel evil. We just, where, where we, to just feel it, we know we are powerless. And of course, everyone sat here this morning is battling some sin in your life. You have tried to get on top of it. You don't have to tell the person next to you. You know this is true. You've tried to get on top of it. And you have discovered you can't do it. Why? Why do you feel powerless? Because you see, the, our, because our powerlessness against evil is not just out there, beloved. Evil lives at our address. It is inside each one of us. It is a virus that we can't cure. And, but the problem you see is that even though you know that you are powerless against evil, you do not live in a way that shows you truly appreciate this truth. That's the issue. You know it, but you don't live in a way that appreciates it. That's the big deal here. That is why we are having to think about this, that everyone is powerless against evil. And before you came here, you knew that already. But the problem is that you don't live as if you know that. 
like a person who knows that. How do I know that? Because when your child sins against you or against the Lord, what do you do first? You first lash out instead of sitting down with her or him to pray and ask for help, seeing that you're looking at a child who's powerless against evil and actually what you need is Jesus to help the child. You don't do that. Because you don't appreciate this truth. Because, you see, you forget you're powerless against evil. You have not read your Bible for the last two days. Some of you for the last week. Why have you not read your Bible? You have not read your Bible because you think you don't need its wisdom. You think you can get along in this world without relying on the all-powerful wisdom of God. That's why you don't read the Bible. You think you get along fine. You underestimate. You know you're powerless against evil, but you underestimate just how serious that issue is. You see, when a husband does not remember his wife is powerless against evil, he will not help his wife examine herself whether she's truly converted. Right? He will easily deceive himself that he's married to a believer when he's actually perhaps not. That comes from not realizing just how powerful evil is and how deceptive it is. You see, because we forget everyone is powerless against evil, we often lack grace and forgiveness towards those who have hurt us in the past. Why are many of us carrying such baggage from the past? Why? Such pain? Because we forget, don't we? We forget that evil is powerful and we are powerless against it. You see, you think the people who have hurt you in the past should have been in control of evil. You forget that evil really has got all of us, as the rapper Shailene says, has got all of us shackled tight. You and I, beloved, desperately need help from outside. Evil, everyone is powerless against evil. And the good news of this passage is that Jesus, our Lord Jesus, Lord Emmanuel himself, has power to defeat all forms of evil for us. That's a wonderful sensation in news of the gospel. And that is the second truth we see in this passage, isn't it? Truth number one, everyone is powerless against evil, but, I should have put a but there, but the power of Jesus frees us from evil. Let's return to Jesus. Jesus has just rebuked the disciples there, isn't it? We stopped in the middle of verse 19. Now he turns to the problem while he's speaking, to the problem at end. He calls the boy to him. Look, we ended verse 19. They're saying, bring him to me, he says in verse 19. And suddenly, as they're bringing this boy, things get worse, actually, for the boy. They'll get worse. They'll keep getting worse. They're getting worse now. Look at verse 20. And they brought the boy to him, and when the spirit saw him, saw Jesus... Immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and roared about, foaming at the mouth. Things have got worse. Now, based on what you have seen of Dr. Jesus so far in Mark, what do you expect him to do now? You need to engage with the passage. You need to walk in it. What do you expect Jesus to do now? 
Well, I'm expecting him just to proceed and cast it out. He doesn't give the, de the, the demons time. You remember, he just, in Mark chapter 3, verse 7 to 12, he just cast them out. He wouldn't even let them speak. But he doesn't do that here. Let's read on verse 21 to 22. Quite interesting. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, it's a GP question, isn't it? The question you get at the GP, how long has this been going on? Jesus asked how long has this been happening? And he said, from childhood, verse 22, and it has often cast him into fire, into water to destroy him. We won't spend too much time looking at this case. You'd have to study it deeper. In fact, we did discuss this case when we went through the, uh, the, the, the study on, um, on Satan last year. But the point to note simply here is that Dr. Jesus has checked the medical history, as they do at the GP surgery, and it reveals that the torture of this child has gone on since childhood. And occasionally it's been nearly fatal. Beloved, pause at that. Consider what you're looking at here. Seriously. This case and the case we saw in Mark 7 with a woman of Tyre who had a child demonized is a sober reminder that Satan is obsessed with destroying our children. I am counting the demonic cases in Mark and I believe there are three demonic cases, of which one I read, I, I, I explained to you at the beginning, I, I shared a bit about that, two men. Three cases, among, leaving aside the many cases in Mark chapter 3, but two out of those three demonic cases are children. If you're a parent, an uncle, or a grandparent, an aunt, if you care for any child in your life, listen to me, beloved, very, very carefully. You cannot protect your children from Satan. No matter how smart you are, how spiritually mature you are, you can't. No matter what schemes you come up with, they won't work. Only the precious blood of Jesus shed on the cross can keep them safe. That's the application I've taken away from this passage for my child. And so if you love your children, you must do what this father is doing. You must keep taking your child to Jesus to care for them. And I think this means three things. First, you must be truly committed to Jesus yourself. You know, as parents, we want our children to, to, to be biblical. But what about us? We must come to Jesus ourselves. We must be truly committed. It starts with you, beloved. And secondly, pray daily for your kids. They're going to be there every day. Now, if you're not reading your Bible, if you hardly pray... You're of course not praying for your children. You only pray when they're unwell or something. So pray daily for your kids. And finally, beloved, I think it's God's providence that this father brought the child to the disciples before 
they brought the child to Jesus. I think the lesson I take from that is that if we're going to nature our kids, yes, the disciples messed up, but this man did the right thing to go to the disciples. Why? Because God wants our children to be brought and natured by God's covenant community, the church. So one of the most important things you can do for your children is to ensure they're in a sound biblical church and that they are being natured by God's people. There are things that you can't offer your kids that only other people can. And that is the collective power of prayer and the collective power of the love of Christ shared abroad for his church. Bring your kids to Jesus. The father recognizes he needs Jesus. So he finishes his sentence, doesn't he, with a plea for help. Let's read verse 22. It says, We read on verse 22. But if you can do anything, he says at the end of verse 22, have compassion on us and help us. But Jesus is not impressed with his 50-50 approach. This is his first movement. And Jesus, often as he did with the woman of Tyre, he likes eliciting more faith from people. And he's doing it here. He's not impressed. Verse 23 when Jesus responded at the beginning, it should be understood as a question. And Jesus said to him, if you can, that's how I read that. If you can, did I hear you correctly? If you can, all things are possible, Jesus goes on to say, for those who believe, for the one who believes. He is saying to him, the only currency I accept is faith in me alone. Not if I can, come to me believing that I can. And he's asking to him, do you have that currency of faith? Verse 24. I love the way the father responds. I think we all do, don't we? Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. You can have a whole sermon just on that verse. I think what he's saying is, I know my faith is pathetic. It is weak, but I'm trusting you now, and only you, only you, Jesus, you are all I have. Please help me in spite of me, right? That's a prayer, beloved, to Jesus. By the way, every time somebody comes in Mark and asks Jesus a question that needs help, you can do your own personal study through Mark, because that is teach about prayer, because that's teaching you about praying to Jesus. And this father is praying to Jesus right now. And as the father is speaking, talking to Jesus, Jesus notices the crowd is getting bigger. There's already a big crowd, but it seems another crowd is forming. Perhaps Jesus has been having this conversation in a slightly privacy area, as he often likes to do, do miracles away slightly from the crowd, in the middle of the crowd, as it were. And Jesus notices there's a big crowd coming, and he does not want to show, right? So he quickly dispatches the demon. He banishes the demon. Let's read on verse 25 to verse 26. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He is dead. 
You know, I've been thinking about this miracle, and I realize that this is the only miracle in, 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 I can think of where Jesus appears to have made the situation worse. It's just been getting worse, right? He turns up, the boy sees Jesus, is all over the place. Now Jesus casts out the demon, and the boy, well, appears dead. The demon has gone, but the child now appears dead. Things have got worse. In fact, the crowds think he's dead, and I think the boy is dead. Why do I think the boy is dead? Because Mark thinks so. What makes me think that Mark thinks the boy is dead? Read verse 25. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. What you won't immediately know, some of you, is that in the original language, the final, that final sentence of Mark, that he lifted him up and he arose, literally reads, he raised him and he was resurrected. That's a literal translation. He raised him and he was resurrected. Now, if you've been with us in Mark, you know this is important. Because you know the sermon last week looked at, reminded us, verse 9 to 10, that Jesus, if you scan over the passages, Jesus in verse 9 to 10 has just told his disciples that he's going to die and rise again. And he's going to say the same thing in verse 30 to verse 32, which we're looking at this evening. So again, beloved, those of you who are interested in this thing, or you should know it anyway, we have again those things I like to say in Mark, a delicious Mark and sandwich, isn't it? I told you that Mark likes splitting uh, things, and in this case, he's got Jesus talking about rising and dying, and then he's got this miracle of a boy who has, been, who has died, if you like, as a result, of the evil powers, and that's now risen by Jesus. And again, Jesus will talk about his own death and resurrection. It is a sandwich. In fact, I think it's more than a sandwich. I think it's a double sandwich, but we won't get into that. So the point is that the, the, Jesus' words and what's happened to the boy, he's connected, isn't it? The death of the boy by evil powers, followed by the resurrection by Jesus, is a road sign pointing to Jesus' own future death and resurrection. Right? Jesus will be put to death by the evil powers. He will, the, the human conspiracy that will put Jesus to death will be instigated by Satan. And he will be put to death as a result. But God the Father will raise his son. Has Jesus, you listen closely, has Jesus has just raised a son of, of the Father. What you won't know is, is that reading this story from Luke, Luke makes it clear that this child is the father's only son. What a picture of Jesus' own death by the evil powers and the resurrection restored back to his heavenly father. And therefore, what is happening here is that by Jesus, but notice the resurrection completes the defeat of the evil power. Therefore, here, Jesus rising from death, as he will do, is we know from reading Hebrews 2, verse 14 to 15, that Jesus, by rising from death, triumphed over the evil powers. Because by rising from death, he robbed Satan of the power of death itself. We read this from Hebrews 2, verse 14 to 15. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death 
were subject to lifelong slavery. This miracle, beloved, the point is that he's teaching us that if you're truly trusting in Jesus, right, you are free from the domain of darkness and you have been raised to new life with Jesus forever. That's what he's teaching us. You see, like all human beings, you were once born in this world carrying the surname of Satan as your father. You were trapped in Satan's house of darkness. But Jesus, heaven's champion, came for you. He bound the strong man we read about in Mark chapter 3. By his death on the cross and by his resurrection, defeated death for you. And by his Holy Spirit, if you are trusting in Jesus, Jesus has enabled you to cry out to him, I believe, please help my unbelief. Your chains have fallen off and you were set free. That's true for you, beloved. If you're trusting in Jesus, this is your life. No matter what Satan throws at you, Jesus has placed, just as he placed on this boy, a no trespass sign on you. Jesus has placed a no trespass sign on you, a sign of his blood shed on the cross. The devil can't, can harass you, but he can't destroy you. You are safe forever. Yes, you face powerless situation, but the Bible says, he who is in you is stronger than he who is in the world. But the problem is, beloved, is that we forget this. For us who have come to faith in Jesus, we still forget this. And as a result, we forgetting this truth, we often find ourselves craving for the same evil that the Lord Jesus paid an infinite price to deliver us from. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know you are often tempted like the Galatians to go back to your old slavery. I think God allows these weaknesses. Why does he allow these weaknesses? Well, he allows these weaknesses in us so that we would know that we need his grace. So that we would not look to ourselves but to his infinite grace. That we would keep looking to his son in faith. And that brings us to the final truth of this passage, beloved. The first truth here is that everyone is powerless against evil. The second truth we learned, importantly, but the power of Jesus frees us from evil. How then should we respond? Well, we should respond through faith in Jesus. The final truth is that we overcome evil through faith in Jesus. So the miracle is done, right? Jesus and the disciples exit for some unknown time. The disciples now have a burning question. They want our Lord to answer. Perhaps they think Jesus is annoyed at them, right? So they preempt that by coming to him with the question. So it's good to be the first one making the move. If you've upset your parents, it's better to engage them soon, right? And so they come to Jesus now to ask him a question. Let's read, finally, finish reading uh, verse 28 to verse 29 there. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The phrase, this kind, can simply refer to the rest of demons as a whole. Jesus may be saying that demons as a whole cannot be cast out without prayer. But I think most likely what Jesus means is that this kind of demons, as we know, there are different types of demons and the principalities, the powers, and so forth. He's saying these kind of demons are so strong that they can only be overcome 
by those who have a strong prayer-filled faith in Jesus. Beloved, to pray is to totally give the situation over to God. It is allowing his power to change the situation. In other words, praying leaves out faith in God. It leaves out faith in Jesus. But, but notice the faith that Jesus is talking about here, when he says anything is, is possible for him who believes, it's not just faith in faith. In fact, it is not faith in faith, I should say. It is faith in Jesus. It is faith that Jesus died and risen for me. And that he has powerfully defeated evil for me in all its forms. So the question for all of us as we near the end of these passages is, are you trusting in Jesus like that this morning? Do you have faith that Jesus is powerful for me? Are you trusting in his death on the cross and in resurrection power? Have you come to that point of true surrender? I think you need to think about this carefully, beloved. Because true faith looks like the father in verse 24. Look at the father again in verse 24. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Look, when I think of verse 24, his attitude to Jesus the father, there are three H's, right? You could have a whole sermon on that. Three things. What is his attitude? First of all, he's honest, isn't it? He's very honest. He's honest about his weakness. I have unbelief, he says to Jesus. I have unbelief. I know it. Secondly, he's helpless, isn't he? He comes before Jesus. Please help my unbelief. And finally, the final H is that he's hopeful. He knows Jesus will do it. That's why he keeps coming to Jesus. Beloved, if you come to Jesus like that, if anyone here, young and old, comes to Jesus like that, in true surrender, Jesus will free you from the power of Satan and bring you into his kingdom. You will be made born again. That's how repentance looks like. It must be honest, helpless, and trusting in Jesus. Have you done that? Have you come to that position of true surrender? Have you given up control of your life to him? Well, if you have, then you are a follower of Jesus. And here is the thing for us disciples to think about. Because some of us are like the disciples, isn't it? There's an application here for us as well, because you are like some of us are like the disciples. We are already following Jesus. What does it mean for us? Well, we need to remember that we also often find ourselves paralyzed by sin and satanic attacks. And I think what Jesus is saying to us in this passage is, look, beloved, you don't need to defend yourself against evil in your life. I am your defense. So come to me, Jesus says. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. Read again, beloved, verse 29. Read again, verse 29. So final reading. And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Let that verse sink in. I had to let it sink in. You know, we take the Bible for granted so many times. Let that verse sink in. This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Why did this verse puzzle me? Because Jesus is saying, praying is so powerful that he himself, beloved, listen to me, 
he himself has cast out this demon through prayer. The disciples want to know, Jesus, how have you done it? Why can't we do it? He says, prayer. According to Jesus, the difference between them and him, humanly speaking, is that Jesus has perfect faith in his Father, fueled by prayer. And we know he's just come from the mountain praying, hasn't he? On the mountain of transfiguration. You know, when Jesus prays for a mark, mark it, amazing things happen. Beloved, we must remember again that though Jesus is God, is living again his life as a man dependent on God the Spirit. How is Jesus casting out demons? Empowered by God, yes, by God the Spirit, through prayer. Faith is the bridge between divine omnipotence and human weakness. And that faith is experienced and exercised through prayer. Are you praying for your children? The children are going off the rails. Are you praying for them? Is your marriage failing? Is your workplace very difficult? What's the answer to all of those questions? The answer is push. Push stands for pray until something happens. Are you struggling to pray perhaps? Well, here is a new idea. Start praying to grow in prayer. Stop talking to people. Start talking to God about your issues. Let us learn here, beloved. I mean, this seminar, I appreciate your patience for the last 15 minutes. But I can't help but to remind you again that let us learn here that whenever the disciples see it in Mark, whenever the disciples are separated from Jesus, either just simply by Jesus going to sleep, right? They get in trouble. <laughs> and they experience a crisis. That's the story of the disciples in Mark. And the same is true for us, isn't it? As followers of Jesus, we never advance beyond our need to stay close to Jesus in the evil world around us. And we do that through faith-filled prayer. And the same applies for us as a church, beloved. I'm so glad, brother, all I've got us to be praying because we want to do more of that praying thing, isn't it? Because we, are, we, are, we want God to give us leaders in this church. We want God to raise leaders in this church, right? What leaders are we looking for, beloved? What leaders are we looking for? We are looking for men who meet God in their needs. We will know we have an elder in the church ready to be appointed when that man is a man of prayer. We want Sunday school teachers who meet God on their knees. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, look, don't send us an elder if he's not going to be a man of prayer. And I know the Lord wants that. We want elders, deacons, who are people of prayer. And therefore we want people that not only pray in their private life, but they are teaching the church to pray. And they prioritize the church meeting for prayer. You don't want to be led by a man or a group of men who only have their own ideas. You don't want that. You don't want people who is all about here rather than looking to him. We want to be a church that looks to God. And so as a church, as a corporate application, let us pray that God raises up men to shepherd us 
who are men of prayer. We pray for Sunday school teachers who will be people of prayer. And those that lead the women, people of prayer. As we have seen, everyone, why? Because as we have seen, to recap, beloved, everyone is powerless against evil. The good news is that our Lord Jesus has power to deliver us from evil. And so because we have such a mighty champion, oh, beloved, let us match with him on his victory lap, standing solidly behind him with our shield of faith raised in him and him alone. There is power in praying to him. Amen.